Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cats by 90 podcast brought to you by SB Nations, the Sea of Blue. It has been a hot minute since we've joined you for a podcast. We apologize. We've been busy with ice storms and new jobs and all that stuff. And tonight's a great example as we're catching up a little bit late with you on a Thursday evening, even without a game this week. But my co-host, Aaron Gershon, is busy with his new job covering uh, high school basketball in Indiana, traded nights for at Rupp Arena from smaller gyms and high school basketball. But I know you've been enjoying it, though, right, Aaron? Who'd you cover tonight? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It, it was uh, out here in uh, Linville, Indiana tonight. Uh, I cover all Gibson County high school teams, and then uh, there's a local college, and then obviously a well-known school in Lexington, the University of Evansville and uh, University of Southern Indiana. So, um, yeah, tonight was uh, Tecumseh High School, which I know one of our listeners is actually familiar with, uh, Lee Greenwood. So if he's listening, uh, there you go. And then Princeton Community High School, which is a part of my beat, and they are one of the better teams in the area. They just want to share of their conference title. Uh, they share that title with the school, Heritage Hills, who uh, produced Jay Cutler back in the day, uh, football-wise, and also have uh, University of Evansville uh, signing on their team. So uh, some really good talent out here, man, I must say. Um, it's a lot of fun. So are you like a news guy now, like the traditional ones that, at, you know, rub and do our high school games in Kentucky with like you have to do the camera work yourself, the big old school looking camera and all that? <laughs> That's right. I do everything. Um, <laughs> still getting used to my camera. Um, not as good as you with the photos. I don't know if I'll ever be good at all, but uh, it's a work in progress. But yeah, uh, I'm literally doing it all. I'm the sports editor and we don't really have we have a, a older gentleman who helps out. He uh, was a sports editor here for almost 30 years, and he's retired now. He's in his early 80s, and he still helps me out a little bit, even though he doesn't have to. But uh, other than that, man, it's, it's just me running the show with sports. Well, good, man. Yeah, I know they're always like kind of like a one-person shows doing those with the cameras and editing and all that. So glad you're enjoying it, man. It's definitely different not having you in Lexington uh, before we jump into the, all the good news of basketball, I think I'm actually going to be, hopefully anyway, covering the last game of the season um, with a rescheduled game with South Carolina, Frank Martin yep. coming to town. So I'm excited. I've had a couple chances to go to Rupp Arena. It hasn't worked out. So it would be cool, man, to get back in there, at least at least for one, um, one final game this season. And then hopefully next year we'll kind of start on a more normal rhythm. Yeah, and that should be a, that should be a good one. The way Kentucky's playing right now, and you know, you kind of I feel South Carolina is a team you feel bad for because they've had a rough year, really to no fault of their own. Um, really, I'm pretty sure it's a pretty similar roster to what they had last year. A team that obviously beat Kentucky down in Columbia, uh, but they've been ravaged by COVID as much as anybody in the country, including. You know, Frank Martin's literally had the thing twice. So uh, they've had a hell of a battle with COVID this year, a lot of stuff out of their control. But glad that game will be made up because, you know, the more Kentucky stacks wins, you know, probably too late for that automatic bid to the tournament, which is amazing. We can even uh, discuss that right now. But uh, it definitely will help them in terms of seeding in the SEC tournament, which uh, is looking, you know, we said on this podcast the last time we recorded that it was probably uh, close to damn near impossible. That they to ask them to win that thing with the way Alabama's rolling, but now uh, Alabama looking a little shaky the last couple games. Missouri doesn't look nearly as good. Arkansas is kind of emerging as that team to beat, but of course Kentucky was just a point away uh, from beating Arkansas at Rupp, so things are opening up. Yeah, that would have been four in a row. I think that's kind of like skated under yeah. a little bit because it was a, such a disgusting, bad taste in, taste in your mouth loss 
Um, that one point devastating loss to Arkansas, they turned the ball over as time expired. But yeah, that was four in a row. And that's the magic number. So I've been talking about that all week is that this team for, you know, no, no one had any faith they could win four games in a row in a tournament setting, four games in four days. And now they've at least pretty much proved that they can at least win four games in a row. Yeah. And man, I just can't believe we're at this point. I said, we missed a couple of weeks on the podcast, but I was really, um, I did Big Blue Insider this week with Dick Gabriel, and he had a great point. I think the first time that I went on with them this season was when Kentucky started 3-0 and in the SEC. They had that monster game against Alabama, and they just pretty right. much got dominated, you know, down the stretch. And, and that was kind of that as far as Kentucky really making any noise this season. I don't think anybody – I definitely didn't expect myself to get back to the level that I'm at now. But so much of it, Aaron, besides, you know, going, I'll say, like, three and a half and point five or something because they really had that other one won. Is just the way that they looked, the way that they won, um, how they finished out that second half against a really good top 25, top 25 team in Tennessee. So it really has, man. Things have changed, and, and I didn't see it coming, and I'm sure you didn't either. <laughs> no. Uh, two things on that. One, you got to just tip your hat to this group uh, for not giving up. They easily could have packed it in. You could have seen guys uh, opt out. I mean, look, the way Isaiah Jackson's playing right now, it's looking like that streak of having a first-round pick is going to maintain – um, it stay here. Isaiah Jackson playing like a first rounder bad times. So is Brandon Boston, which uh, is crazy to think about the way he's looked at times this year. So, and the thing that was really, you know, you mentioned the second half, they were able to close it out by double digits. It felt never really felt like they were going to collapse, which even they kind of flirted with against Auburn and they flirted with against um, who's the other win that they had in there, Vanderbilt. So, I, I mean, they didn't shoot the ball well at all in that second half. The offense went cold after they were shooting the lights out of the basket in the first half, especially Davion Mintz. And they were still able to play enough defense and not let that shooting uh, struggle kind of deflate them or kill them. And they were able to close it out. They got to give them credit for, you know, taking the punches of a weak offense in the second half and staying with it and beating as a couple on their roster and that beat us pretty good, beat them pretty good um, over at Rupp Arena earlier in February. Well, it definitely helps when Davion Minch, you know, hits, hits five threes in a row and all that stuff. And you had some of the, to me, it was just two by far the top two highlights of the season too, with the Jacob topping out of bounds dunk and then the Isaiah Jackson baseline, just palm punishing uh Fulkerson. So just that was, those two just, it just felt more like Kentucky basketball on Saturday. It felt like we were the better team. And for once this season, it kind of was the same as, you know, you really felt like only Kentucky could be Kentucky on that day. Like, they were there, the best players on the floor. They finally showed it. Um, and one thing I wanted to talk about that out of bounds, I haven't brought this up at all, but it's been burning me because the biggest take on that was not the just absolute insane display of athleticism by Jacob Toppin, but it was that, oh, Calipari finally ran an out of bounds play. But I've watched <laughs> it several times. And I still think that Kentucky was in the set to just toss it up to Star like they always do, the big man just up to that offhand with his arm out like a hook shot. And that for some reason, Tennessee just doubled him, which allowed, um, you know, Jacob Toppin to cut to the rim and they just threw it up. I could be wrong about that. Maybe they kind of um, decoyed that. But I'm still not sure that they, they ran some, you know, crazy Princeton cut John Wooden set like, uh, you know, Cal was getting credit for. But amazing play. Yeah, that was what I think those two were arguably the two best plays of the year. And like I said, um, Isaiah Jackson, for one, is looking like an NBA prospect. I really think he's kind of been, 
he hasn't gotten the consistent playing time at times more because of his offense, but his defense rebounding, his blocking, it's been there all year. Uh, he's been the most consistent guy, I think, which isn't saying all that much just because of how bad, <laughs> I guess you could say, at times this team has been. But he's kind of just been a mainstay when they've needed him, and he's really impressed me. And that top and dunk, I mean, talk about a guy who – the, the guy was planning, which you don't see very often anymore. You see them at least trying to request um, a waiver to play right away. But this is a guy who was going to willingly sit out this year and learn behind some of the veteran guys. Not veteran guys. There are no veterans <laughs> except for Mintz and Sar, But some of the, you know, higher recruited guys and guys who are, are coming in here with, you know, lottery potential. And instead he gets the chance kind of with COVID uh, allowing waivers for pretty much anybody. And he's taking full advantage of it. And, if I mean, he's a guy I believe, uh, by all indications, is going to stick around because he's not necessarily NBA ready, but he's, he's transforming, transforming himself into a really solid college player, into a guy who could be a leader uh, for this team next year, which I don't think anyone expected him to be a guy uh, you thought was going to be one of your top guys ever. So it, it, what a bonus uh, getting him from Rhode Island and getting the waiver for him. <laughs> there aren't many people where COVID's been a good thing, but COVID, as long as he hasn't gotten there or hasn't been affected uh, with family getting sick, it's been good to him for a sense he was able to play this year. Yeah, you broke it down really good because the next thing I wanted to talk about was Cal um, earlier this week on the Coaches Show talked about um, he was very candid and just flat out said, you know, I have a seven-man rotation. That's what it is. These are the guys that deserve to be on the court. And I just find it hilarious listening to you go through all those. We're talking about, you know, kind of the freak, uh, freshman phenom and Isaiah Jackson, a nice multi-year transfer player that still has great high one, you know, high level athleticism and Division One ability. And then you have guys like Devin Askew that's going to be back. Uh, you know, Davion Mintz. It's like Calipari assembled a, a roster that has a little bit of everything, like a, a piece that everybody wants. You could you say the same thing about Lance Ware. You have Dante Allen, who's you know, if nothing else, got some opportunities this season. So. Um, but as far as the seven-man rotation, Aaron, goes, we can kind of talk about that and we'll work our way down to the SEC tournament. But I think it's great that Kentucky's found those guys that are playing well. I think it's obvious that those are the guys that should be playing the most. Yep. Um, that was obvious on Saturday. But that being said, the lack of depth really, you know, you have to start to factor that in when you talk about asking a team to win four games in four days, especially when two of those guys, Olivier Starr and Isaiah Jackson, are just, I mean, they could be, you know, out of the game for the first – you know, a few minutes and they could be finding themselves on the bench. So yeah. what were your thoughts? I mean, I know it's kind of been pretty clear that that was going to be the rotation, but how do you think that that's going to, you know, translate rounding out the last, I guess, you know, five to nine games, no matter what, or four, probably what, four to seven games, I guess they yeah. have left tops. I mean, look, I, I'm okay with the rotation. I think you, you said it perfectly. You have to – that's kind of how Kentucky's been and really with the struggles and inconsistencies, really no one, this year has been good from day one to finish. So you had to find the seven guys who could at least give you the most consistency. And I think they found that and that's great, but you nailed it. The problem is foul trouble and both Isaiah Jackson and especially Olivier Starr run into it. And I think, um, unfortunately, Lance where he's had his moments, but I don't think he's quite where they need him to be, to be a real game changer, a real, a uh, big piece of this team. Uh, that's why, like you said, he's probably more, and I think they recruited him more to be a multi-year guy, which is fine and good, uh, considering this year kind of taught us uh, one and done's don't always get the job done. So um, I'm okay with the rotation, but it really comes down to foul trouble. And, you know, you need consistency. You really need consistency. You need Brandon Boston to be 
I mean, you don't need him to be perfect at this point. It's too much to ask, just given that he's improved uh, this last month here. But you need him to be more of the good Brandon Boston than the bad. I know it sounds simple, but at time, he's either – it seems like there's no in-between with him. He's really good or he's really bad, and you need more of that really good. You need Isaiah Jackson to stay the way he's been playing, and you need – for me, the guy that can really change things still, and it's been – we all thought this offseason when they uh, brought in Olivier Saar that that was the piece they needed uh, to get to a Final Four. They didn't quite have that center. And Olivier, I mean, it's safe to say he's been a disappointment. Like everyone on this team, they've, he's shown flashes. But I think we can both agree he hasn't been quite as physical as they need him to be. Um, he hasn't been great defensively at times. So they really need him to step up and be the guy they brought in from Wake Forest who scored 30 on Duke last year um, and for a Wake Forest team that wasn't very good and still beat a pretty good Duke team. So they, need, they still need that. I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's too much to ask. For a guy who's proven, I mean, the, it, <laughs> this isn't football. The ACC is better at basketball uh, overall than the SEC generally. And Sars played in that competition and done so well for three years. And the fact that he still hasn't brought it this year has been disappointing. And they need him to step up for this uh, last run. I really think he can be an X factor for them still. Yeah, it might be a good way to look at it is if we're, you know, a month from now, we're still talking about Olivier Sars' best collegiate game was that 30-point game at Duke. Probably means Kentucky's not going to make the NCAA tournament. I don't need to know the needs to drop 30, but he kind of needs to have that statement game maybe at some point because it's going to take a, a group effort. And we went down the roster quite a bit, and a guy we haven't really mentioned much at all is Keon Brooks. And I wrote his name down and kind of put X Factor because I think that he's going to be somebody that can is going to have to really play above his, um, I guess, the level of play that he has, even though he's played well since he's came back. But I think he's had to really take it to another level in Nashville and, um, you know, just give them more points. Maybe he's had to have some 20-point games and stuff. And you've seen Kentucky, too, Aaron, go to him um, quite a bit over the last few weeks when they kind of need a bucket, even in isolation, which seems kind of crazy thinking about his game last year. And it really also kind of speaks, I think, the offensive struggles that, that this team has had, that they need him to do that. But he shows, you know, flashes where he really can beat his man. He can kind of stretch the defense a little bit, shooting jump shots. So I think Keon, if, if anybody could say, is going to be the true X factor. I'm, I'm sh- you could make mention of tons of guys, including Brandon Boston as a good example. But that's my guy, somebody that really needs to step up if this team's ultimately going to figure out a way to get into the, to the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, that's kind of the story with all these guys this year, I feel like, is inconsistent. At times, they've been really, really good. And for the most part, I don't think anybody – I mean, burned in Boston for a while, but now he's turned it on. I don't think anyone has just flat out sucked this year. I don't think that's a fair statement. I just think they've been inconsistent and really no in-between between having a decent game. There really hasn't been any decent games. There's really either been really good or really bad. So uh, they need Keon to just fall in the middle or at least get above uh, decent. Because I don't think, like you just said, I don't think they need him to be their best player. I don't think they need him to, you know, score 25-plus. But they do need him to just be what they – what he really – be what he was last year at the minimum. Um, And I think that'll be fine. I know they don't quite have the dudes they had on last year's team, but he was a really productive player toward the end of the year for them. 
and during spots in the mid-year, especially that last game at Florida without Ashton Higgins, you know, scoring 10 and I think it was seven or eight rebounds. If he could do that, that's really all they need right now from him. And they need his leadership, which he's brought, you know, we can question whether it was the right move from Calipari's standpoint to send him up to that press conference early in the year. I forget which game it was after a loss that he didn't even play play in and uh, he took questions, but that's a sign of leadership from his standpoint. I don't think there was anything wrong doing from Keon. It was a question of did Cal make the right call with that? Yeah, big one coming up too. So Florida, one of the hottest teams in the SEC. Um, Trey Mann's playing like all SEC caliber, lighting it yeah. up. I think he's averaging close to 15 a game. So that'll be a tough one. And um, I keep saying, and I said a lot this week that if if they come out and they don't necessarily need to dominate the game and win the game by 15 points like they did on Saturday. But if they have some of those Jacob Toppin plays, Isaiah Jackson plays, win the game, and you really feel like they were the better team, and at no point were you, I guess, you know, super nervous that they were going to blow it, um, I'm going to feel great, man. But my biggest concern moving forward, and it's going to be the same thing, and eventually it's, it's going to bite Kentucky, and that's how their season's going to end, is just these scoring droughts. Um, they had him against Tennessee. It was amazing. They scored, like, no baskets and were able to, like, maintain their lead. It was pretty unbelievable but ultimately that's gonna, that's gonna be their demise there and it's just a matter of is it gonna be the you know first or second game in nashville or is it gonna potentially be and you know could it be in the ncaa tournament but it, it's just how much can this offense get fixed in the you know a short amount of time and that starts again on saturday with another chance to tune up yeah and florida's gonna be a team coming in frankly pissed off like you said they're playing a lot better uh when kentucky was hot early in sec play uh, you know, they kicked their ass in Gainesville. And they really, if you think about it, they've controlled – this was a series for a little while that Florida seemed like they were kind of getting the upper hand in. I remember one of my first memories of, of being a U.K. student was that crushing loss at home to Florida um, in 20, uh, the 2017-18 team. I believe they lost by two. Uh, it was just a brutal game uh, with uh, Kevin Knox's blood Kentucky team. But uh, – you know, since then, I, I don't know if Kentucky's even lost a game to Florida. I know they swept them last year. Uh, they beat them earlier this year. And I'm trying to think back. I believe that Tyler Hero team, uh, the 2018-19 with Hero, Johnson, and Washington, I believe they swept Florida as well, if I have that right. So I don't think they've lost to Florida in at least six games. So, you know, Florida's going to come in motivated. They're going to feel like that pass kicking they got from Kentucky uh, was uh, self-inflicted. So, and they're playing really well right now. So that's, they're definitely not an opponent to overlook, but offensively, you just need to be better. You don't have, I don't think this team is ever going to be the team that's going to get you 75, 80 plus every night. I think if they could play like they did uh, against Tennessee in the first half and then in the second half, or, you know, at some combination of having a decent shooting cap and one good one, that'll be enough. Cause this team all year long for the most part, uh, has been a good defensive team, even uh, though the losses have stacked up. So if they can play good enough defense and just enough offensively, I think it's enough against Florida, just because Florida, though hot, is not an, a team that can really – I don't think they're an elite-level team, but I think it could be the demise in the SEC tournament when you get into that semifinal slash uh, championship round or, I mean, it depends who their first-round opponent's going to be. Right now, it's Georgia, who you shouldn't really be too scared of. But uh, I don't think the offense – if you the offense would kill them against a team like Alabama, who's going to make their shots no matter what, just because they're that good. Or even, you know, the way Arkansas is playing right now, and Arkansas really handled uh, Alabama well last night. So Arkansas is a team that, that's 
lot. Those are really the only two teams in the SEC, though. I feel like Kentucky's just – I don't like their chances at all because they, the other team would have been Tennessee, and they just handed it to them. Oh, wow. I'm watching the Ohio State-Michigan uh, State game, and Ohio State's coach is, like, getting tossed for sure. He's going crazy. Absolutely nuts. Technical fouls everywhere, but um, SEC tournament-wise, sorry, back on topic. So, uh, you got to be a mathematician to kind of see how this thing's going to shake down. So, I guess what – so, I guess Kentucky then has a guaranteed three regular season games left, right? So, they got um, yeah. Florida, Mississippi, Ole Miss, and then they're rescheduled South Carolina game from a week from Saturday. I guess they could still potentially add a non-conference game somewhere. Yeah. I would assume it's highly unlikely at this point. Right. Um, so, so, three games that. left. Then the SEC tournament. Yeah. Ish. I, I really think more than anything, th- these three games are crucial. Obviously, you need to win these games. I, I, again, I don't think an automatic bid is anything that's going to happen at this point. I know there's been a lot of talk. You know, if Kentucky's close, they're going to want to put them in for ratings with all these blue bloods, you know, down this year. But I, I think Duke is playing, unfortunately. I think – Duke is probably closer than Kentucky right now. Uh, Michigan State just got a huge win against Illinois on Monday, and they're playing Ohio State tonight, like you said. And I'm pretty sure that last game, yeah, it's a two-point game. So there, there are teams in that mix. So Kentucky, they're really the only way they control their destiny is winning the SEC tournament, like we kind of thought would be the case in the last month. That they need that so um they need these all these three games one for confidence and two uh to improve that seating because right now um you're the on the eight line you'd play georgia in the first round which i think uh kentucky would would win that one but then you have alabama in the semis and if if you're kentucky that's the nightmare matchup just we've seen it twice uh alabama shoots well they're always going to make enough shots it seems um i know arkansas beat them last night but uh, Kentucky just can't keep pace with a team like that where Arkansas can with a guy like Mooney. So, or Moody. So I think that um, getting maybe above that seven, uh, above the eight line, I know they're tied with Missouri right now uh, for the seven seed, but Missouri beat them head to head. So if they can jump ahead of a Missouri, maybe even get to that six line. If you're going to somehow avoid Alabama in the semifinals, I think that'd be huge. Because if you get to the championship game, I, I still like Al- – if, if it's Alabama, I still think all holds true. But really, all bets are off. I mean, I feel like a championship game, you kind of just never know. I remember, was it the year that Kentucky lost that heartbreaker to Tennessee? It looked like Tennessee was just way better than anyone else in the SEC with the exception of Kentucky. But Auburn came in and just shot the lights out of the basketball and wiped mm. them off the court, won that game. And then we all know what happened the rest of the way for Auburn. So, yeah, I, remember uh, I really I did, think uh, it's a crapshoot if you can get – yeah, you were there. Before doing photography at the – that was one of the best games I've ever seen live is that semifinals game, uh, Tennessee, the Grant Williams team versus Kentucky, him and Reed Travis banging out some, some such good photos. Like, uh-huh. all those that pissed Kentucky fans off so bad, those, those you know, ticky-tack fouls that Grant Williams would draw. Like, I was like literally could almost touch him, and you can imagine how infuriating it was from one, <laughs> one foot away. But I have a burning, like, fear now, I guess, Aaron, that Kentucky is going to continue to tune up um, really get us very excited headed into SEC tournament. I think there's like four different things that need to happen, including um, four to lose ball, lose out. I think us win out for Kentucky to avoid um, get, um, playing four games and get the double bye. So I find that unlikely, but my fear is they're going to get to play well, do all this, potentially even get all the way to Sunday to the title game 
and then just run out of steam, and that's how the season's going to end. It's going to be pretty horrible. Yeah, I mean, I definitely don't see them cutting down the nets in Nashville by any means, but and I, I don't think the double buy is probably something we're looking at here. I, like I said, I think the key for them will be to avoid uh, that eight line where they'd have to play. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think the matchup would be on um, the eight nine. So you want to avoid the eight or nine line. You want to try to get. Obviously, you don't want to fall back and be in a situation where you have to play five games. And it looks like Kentucky's going to avoid that at this point. But you do want to get into that seven um, or six, or I guess there's only there, remember there are only thirteen teams playing in this thing this year because Auburn's ineligible. So I'd have to look at the bracket um, to tell you exactly how they would avoid Alabama, but I'm pretty sure all they would need to do is avoid the eight or nine seed. And I think that'd be great because I think I really think there's no one they can't beat in the semifinals. It's when you get to the quarters, how you match up. And as much as I really like Arkansas and think they might even be the best team in the conference, I think that's a hell of a lot better matchup for Kentucky than Alabama is. Yeah, I'm with you. Alabama's been on the top of the bracket. If we could be somewhere on the bottom, uh, that'd be ideal. See them on Sunday at the earliest. But you know how March goes. Who knows, man? They could get bounced early. It's going to be pretty wacky and wild. Still have so many COVID things that could happen between now and then. Um, So who knows? We'll 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 catch up again. Go Who ahead. knows? You know, Kentucky could, but anybody, you can see Alabama come up with a case right before Nashville and pull out because they don't really even need to be there. I mean, they're getting in the dance. They're going to be a two seed in the dance. So th- that's something else to keep in mind. I, I don't think it's going to happen just because I don't even know when the last time Alabama won one of these tournaments was. But, you know, look out. Maybe a team does decide it's not worth the risk and doesn't come. I mean, that is possible. You know, I've been thinking that all season. Like, I mean, Alabama would be a perfect example. I mean, they have a chance. They have they're probably going into the tournament with their best team in decades. And, you know, why take the risk? But it seems like that's kind of been swept under the rug. And I, I believe the NCAA issued a statement a few weeks ago that was like, hey, we definitely don't want y'all doing that with, from their point of view, obviously. So, who knows what's going to happen. And that's also they've, um, they've kind of in, introduced a wrinkle to the NCAA tournament today, which is really bizarre. I don't know if you have a chance to read into that and digest that, but – so today it was essentially announced, and I'm assuming I have this right, that there's basically going to be, like, there's usually the first four out, you know. So there's going to be four designated teams seated, like A, B, C, D, yes. so one through four. And if there's any type of COVID hiccup, that said team would step in and play that game for the team that can't. Which sounds crazy, Aaron, when you, you know, obviously the example everyone's using is, so if a one seed has a COVID you know, pause or whatever, cannot play their game. Essentially, the, you know, what, the 69th team is going to be introduced to take a one-seed spot. So, I don't know, man. There, I think there's already some asterisk deserved by this season just with how weird it is. But if that is to come to fruition at all, that, that gets dicey for me. Yeah, I mean, look, it, there's asterisks, I think. I think the asterisks more can help the teams like Kentucky who have just – not been very good um, when they were supposed to be, and maybe even Duke and North Carolina and some of the other blue buds that have struggled this year. But whoever wins this damn thing doesn't deserve an asterisk because you have to overcome a hell of a lot to do it. Yeah, and another fear of mine too is I've kind of been thinking that um, Kentucky, since I heard that news, oh, watch, Kentucky, you know, maybe they do. They fight out. They win out. They fight all the way to the, to the very, you know, tooth and nail of the SEC tournament championship, maybe just come up short or something like that. You know the committee wants these blue bloods in. So then they stack some blue bloods on that line. So not only do we have the misery of this awful season, but then potentially the whole time 
we, we're just going to be in limbo thinking, oh, my God, could Kentucky get inserted here? I mean, what does that look like? What if it's the national championship game? Like, this is insane. <laughs> I mean, you would think that if it comes down to – is that right? Would they insert someone into the national championship game? or would they, I mean, you would think either – I guess you can't really delay the game. <laughs> I don't know if you could or not. Maybe you could. But if they came out, hopefully this, let's just hope, you know, this bubble, they do have a bubble system. So I think that helps. It's a matter of, I think it's just going to be checking in. I mean, if the team gets ravaged by it checking in or during that seven day testing period, that's when you have problems. But <laughs> we learned that bubbles work from the NBA and the NHL and even um, the baseball playoffs. So maybe <laughs> let's hope the bubble just works and, once the teams all get to Indiana, um, they're fine from there. Yeah, seriously. I just can't even imagine any type of interruptions like that. And I, I always try to think about from the people aspect with everything with COVID, like all these kids that, you know, sports season Olympics with the freaking Olympics this year. Like I have such respect for Olympic athletes and just missing out on that. So gosh, the thought, I know that um, I was kind of, I was like really covering it, but I was really watching the, the um, girls sweet 16 here in Kentucky last year. And I think there was like four slated games that day um, yep. or something like that. And that two got to go. And then, you know, two teams took the there floor a, there just so they couldn't play. And I, I can't off, even imagine that. They took a team off the court at halftime and said, you're done. I yep. mean, can you imagine being one of those girls and you're in the heat of a battle and being told, yeah, stop fighting. You're done. I mean, I just I guess can't. everybody gets, a, gets another year, you know, so you look at it from that standpoint. But just the thought of any of these teams, coaches, fans, everything, you know, have their opportunity to play in the tournament and it not happen would be would be sucky. Um, last thing, man, we'll start wrapping it up because I, I mentioned that as far as um, people having an extra year of eligibility and stuff. So um, they are planning to do a senior day on Saturday because I know yeah. that uh, there's still another Saturday game. but And then there's also like, hey, everyone has a chance to come back. But I know – I think Kentucky said today, I heard Kyle Tucker mention that like – Obviously, they'd rather recognize them twice than not at all. So, Davion Mintz being the, the primary, I think, topic of discussion there, really heating up that he could potentially return next year for like an 11th season or whatever it would be for him. Um, so, man, that would be big news. I think that he is just a certified baller, dude. If you would have told me before the season started that his, you know, highlight mixtape would probably be the tops on the team at the end of the season, some of the big shots that he's made, like crazy banked in threes and stuff. I think um, him coming back next year, next year would be huge, and it seems like that um, could, could very well happen. Yeah, Calipari always seems to have a word every year, basketball-wise, that he overuses. But with Mintz, what he has been able to do is hit the dagger shot, which I think Cal has just completely overused this year. But yeah, that's, the dagger. Yeah, Jesus. He just, I don't know if he knows. Uh, maybe he's not a basketball Benny because he misuses mm-hmm. that word. Anyway, but uh, no, he's hit a lot of clutch shots. He's been pretty consistent um, from three-point land. So, and he doesn't – you know, he's not an NBA guy. He's just – that's just not who he is. So, if he does want to come back and feels like basketball is something he wants to continue with, you know, after college, I think one more year can't hurt him. Yeah, I, I like him back again. I, I knew he was going to be a good player. I, I, I think it was obvious to me that he would probably end up playing a bigger role throughout the season than oh, we ex- we expected just because he, he had experience and stuff like that. But, man, dude, like I said, his athleticism and stuff is so sneaky. He wants the ball in his hands. Um, I like that he pushes the ball. He tries to make plays. And that's really what's changed um, Kentucky's entire season, if you ask me. And we talked about this so much. It pisses me off so bad watching the Kentucky basketball team that can't score 70 points. And, you know, they've given up a lot more points um, than they have. I know they played really good defense against Tennessee, but 
gave up, you know, more points than they're used to and stuff against Vanderbilt. But just watching the ball go through the basket just does so much for a team on both ends of the floor. And especially when talking about young guys that are trying to find their confidence. So, BJ still struggling a little bit, but I think him becoming that scoring threat and um, teams looking at him now knowing that he's, he's still going to take these shots and he, he's proven that um, he's getting more efficient. Um, the, the offense is looking a lot better. It is. And it's still, like you said, they're not going to be the normal Kentucky team we're used to that can shoot the lights out of the basket and give you 80 plus. I mean, we had that team really two years ago when PJ Washington, I think, shot 42% from three, and I think Hero was also at that 40% mark, and Nate Sestino was like a 39% three-shooter, so, you know, we're not far removed from that, and that's what makes this season hard to watch sometimes, um, but you know what? They play good enough defense where if their offense, like I said, is just good enough, 65, 75 range, they can win games. Oh, all right. Well, man, we can start kind of wrapping up here. I will say, too, uh, the women got a big win tonight, man. The uh, women beat number seven. They did close up. Um, Georgia, yep. So, they, they played really well tonight. I watched the first quarter. They were hitting some shots. So, stay on board with this team. I know if, uh, if they can really hit the boards and, and keep um, keep the rebounding margin under managed, I guess you could say, then um, I, I think their final four good still, you know, with Ryan Howard and some of the pieces they have offensively. So, I'm excited to watch them um, just kind of like the men try to get better over these next few games. Heading into, um, you know, they'll obviously definitely be in the in the big dance. Yeah, you don't have to worry about them winning, and I don't even know where the tournament is anymore. Is it Greenberg? I don't even know where it is. But uh, there, Ryan Howard is still, if not one of, if not the best player in the country. And whenever you have that on your team, uh, you have a chance. I mean, we've seen it. Um, just John Morant was arguably, other than Zion Williamson, the best player in the country uh, two years ago. Played for Murray State, and they won a tournament game because of it. Yeah, it's going to be um, – I'm looking forward to, to watching them in the NCAA tournament. That team fights to the very end. So, exciting. It's yeah, a roller coaster of a season to this point. I guess the next time we talk, man, it'll be March, believe it or not. So, insanity how fast the um, pandemic years went. And at the same time, it feels like it's been 100 years. So, just a wacky, wild year. But maybe it'll be um, a special one from a March Madness standpoint. Who knows? Cats have a lot of, t- a lot of time um, to tune up and get better, man. They got about, you know, again, three games or so in a couple weeks to really – make or break this year and we'll be with you on the cats by 90 podcast make sure you're following us at cats by 90 on twitter we appreciate it check us out itunes spotify and all that stuff and we will chat next time